Leading Corporate Transformation. Der Podcast der WHU Otto Beisheim School of Management. Powered by PwC. Zur Transformation von Unternehmen und ihrer Kultur. Von Entscheidern für Entscheider. Oder von Unternehmern für Unternehmer. Hello everybody, my name is Sardan Özcan. I'm a professor of corporate transformation at WHO Otto Beisheim School of Management. And I would like to welcome you to our third episode of Leading Corporate Transformation, the WHO podcast powered by PwC. Today, my co-host is Gori von Hischhausen from PwC. Thanks, Dan. Thanks uh, for having me today. I'm uh, very delighted to be part of this session today. Uh, my name is Gori von Hirschhausen. I'm uh, the co-host for PwC. Uh, I'm leading our PwC management consulting practice in Germany and also leading our finance transformation practice for Europe. Um, I do support transformation programs as a consultant for our clients for about 20 years now uh, and how to lead transformation from the true top and uh, how to start it very early brings us to our uh, very honored great guest today. Yeah, thank you, Gori. Our very special guest indeed today is Mr. Gisbert Ruhl. Until mid-May, he was the CEO of Klöckner for over 11 years and the transformation he brought about at Klöckner was indeed very inspiring. Um, it's great to have you. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, before we talk about your amazing transformation journey, um, could you please tell our listeners a bit about Klöckner and its business model today? Yeah, Klöckner is a traditional, in principle, a traditional steel distribution company, 115 years old, so very old, in the beginning, very conservative. Um, a company when I joined Klöckner in uh, 2005. So what we're doing at Klöckner or what Klöckner is doing is in principle Klöckner buys steel from the big steel companies, from the big steel producers is, and is then distributing steel to all kinds of customers you know, from construction to automotive, machinery, mechanical engineering. So all kind of customers who processing steel. So looking at your time back at Glöckner, I, I think we can put it uh, into one sentence. It was transformation right from since you started. Um, for us, it's very interesting to learn because, as I said in the beginning, you started it very early. So and you, you were thinking about digitization very early in the process. So can you give us a little bit more background on What, what, what was uh, the triggering event for you to, to start the transformation at Glöckner and to go digital right from the beginning? Yeah, the, so it was not right from the beginning. So I joined Glöckner in 2005. Glöckner uh, was private equity owned at that point in time. And then we uh, went public already one year later in 2006. And uh, then we had uh, three great years because at that point in time, style, uh, China was still a net importer of steel. So steel was relative short yes. and uh, prices went up like hell. Uh, and that went until 2008. And then we had the financial crisis. Uh, and uh, in, uh, during this crisis in 2009, I took over the position as a CEO of Klockner. So I joined Klockner as a CFO. Uh, so we had first... When I when I started as CEO, okay, number one topic was of course crisis management. Then we did a couple of acquisitions uh, after uh, the crisis, and then the question in 2014, I was more or less I was questioning myself. Look, this steel distribution business is a very low margin, very volatile business. 
difficult also in a, at a public market and and uh, how but but how will this business with all these new technologies and with the platforms coming up how will this business look like in 10 years from now and uh, my conclusion was it will look different huh? yeah. It will probably look different. Will look more like like Amazon, for instance. Mm -hmm. So it will be more a platform business, and that that was when we created this vision of a, of, of transforming Klöckner into a platform company without a plan. We only had this vision in the beginning, but this vision was, I would say, at least for a few of uh, for a few of us of us very compelling. Most of uh, the others also in the industries were, of course, uh, thinking, okay, that might be true for B2C and uh, private market, but, uh, but, but, but this will not work in our business and steel business uh, platforms have no future. Where did the inspiration come from to turn it into a more a platform business? Were there inspirations coming from, from the Silicon Valley or how did you come to this idea? Because at that time, if I remember it right, or uh, that, that still sometimes the fax machine was still in use for, for getting orders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's still used in our industry. Okay. You know, it's not, <laughs> okay. not over yet. Huh? And uh, now yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's a little story. So I, I don't know, it was in 2013 or so I, I was reading or, or this or this uh, uh, disruption came up huh? and I was remembering that I was reading in the 90s a book mm -hmm. uh, concerning disruption from Clay Christensen okay. and I took this book and yeah. and and uh, was reading this book again the Bible uh, yeah, yeah the Bible, <laughs> the Bible of like. and um, and and then and then I um, uh, on another occasion I met um, Henry Kravis, mm -hmm. uh, and and when I was and, and and so it was a lunch meeting, and, and there Henry Kravis was sitting. And when I was young, uh, uh, so Henry Kravis was a great hero. Uh, so because he invented at that point in time, we called it LBO, leverage buyout. And uh, I went to him and was saying, "Look, uh, uh, Henry, great to meet you." And and uh, when I was young, and yeah. so on and so on. And then he was saying, "Look, when you are next time in New York, um, uh, give me an email and send me an email, and then we can meet and uh, and talk." And I was uh, by chance next Sunday in New York, and I thought, "Okay, so I may send him an email. I may get an answer when I'm already back in Germany." But it took only 20 minutes on a, on a Sunday after uh, Sunday afternoon, and he was inviting me for lunch the next day in his office, and I of course changed all my meetings and went to uh, Henry and then we were in the first during the first hour we were talking about KKR his first deals and so on and the, and the whole story and and then we came up to the point disruption and then he was also saying look this is what I'm saying my CEOs all the time you are all getting disrupted from the Silicon Valley and we are meeting here in New York all the time but we uh, we, we have to meet in the uh, Silicon Valley and you have to go there too mm -hmm. And I was saying, look, Henry, good idea, but I don't know that many people over there. And then he was saying, okay, who do you want to meet? And I said, Mark Andreessen, for instance. And he took his BlackBerry and, and then he arranged all the meetings. Huh? Yeah. And, um, and then I, uh, I, I went there. And before going there, I uh, gave a call to Christoph Käse from Springer uh, because they were also at that point in time in the Silicon Valley. And then they arranged also a couple of other meetings. And uh, after three days, it was clear for me that things will change dramatically going forward. And that's basically where it started. So you came back 
and you developed this vision and obviously you wanted to pitch it to your board. Was it easy? Yeah, I, I, I don't pitched it immediately you know, because it was definitely only a vision first. And uh, the, 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 the big question was how to get there. You know, because when you, when, when you would present something like this to the board, the, immediately the board was questioning, yeah, and how can we do it? What does it cost? And how long does it, does it take? And so on. And, uh, and, and for me, it was clear when we do it in a traditional way, it will not work. Uh, and uh, so spending a lot of money, having big committees and so on, that will not work. And then um, I, I, learned in, I learned already in the Silicon Valley that startups are doing it differently. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I was also, it was also clear for me that we as Klockner are too small to get interested, be interested in the Silicon Valley. And uh, then I went to Berlin, made a startup tour in Berlin. And there I learned how startups working. Uh, so uh, finding out a pain point, uh, uh, the customer, um, uh, developing uh, after some time a first minimal viable product, uh, testing it again with the customer and then developing it uh, going forward. And um, then it, it was clear uh, for me, okay, this is the right approach. And uh, it was also clear for me that this will not work within our, uh, within our headquarters. And during the startup uh, tour, two days, by the way, I also went to the beta house, the co-working space. And there was one table like this here was, was uh, available. And then I asked uh, the owner of uh, the co-owner or co-founder of the beta house uh, what the table costs. And she said, OK, it costs uh, 1,000 uh, 1, euros per month. And I said, OK, I'm, re- I'm, I'm renting now this desk. And then I gave a call to two younger colleagues and was saying to them, look, uh, next Monday you have a new um, working place. Uh, Normal in Duisburg, it's in Berlin. Uh, you don't need a tie uh, because it's in a co-working space called Beta House. Uh, and then we made ourselves familiar with this uh, um, with the startup ecosystem. Uh, and after a while, we then started Klockner.i. And uh, and that was also the time where I start to mention it in our board or also in our supervisory board, uh, but as something as a very early stage and, uh, and and also with already some ideas what we do. And so I, I did it step by step. Um, so I, what, I not, what, I, what I've not done is that I'm immediately were presenting uh, my vision. Uh, so I first said, okay, we now have to start with the customer and, and, and to make it more convenient for the customer. Uh, to work with us, we have to find the pain points and 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 so on and so on. And so it, it it was really a gradual development. So um, there's a lot of talk that uh, when it comes to digitization, the focus on the customer is so important. So can you tell us a little bit how you took this as an exercise to get the customers of Glöckner more into the focus, to start with with their problems? Yeah. So corporates typically say we are customer oriented yeah. but they often they aren't because whenever they start something they start with themselves mm-hmm. when they want to make uh, uh, the supply chain more efficient they don't start with the customer they start with all the supply chain and uh, i think i was the same in the past and uh, but i learned in berlin i learned from a meeting 
with uh, from a meeting uh, uh, with a couple of uh, people out of the startup ecosystems. They prepared for the meeting. Uh, so when I came in, there were a lot of yellow pads everywhere. And then I was asking them, well, look, what have you done? And, and, and then the guy was saying, Look, uh, we wanted to prepare for the meeting, and we gave we, we, we gave some potential customers of mm -hmm. you a call and trying what the pain points are. Mm -hmm. And then I was thinking, my God, I, I never did it in the past. I was I was also visiting customers, but I was all, only all, only asking, are we doing well? Are we a good uh, supplier? And, and what can we do better? But I never tried to find out really what the pain points are. So it, immediately it was clear for me that this is the right way. Mm -hmm. And this customer ideation. Uh, and, and from there on, we started everything from the customer. So every development started from the customer and then backwards into the, into the company. But it sounds like it, there was a lot of going on in Berlin at that time. So how did you transfer this to, the, to Duisburg? Yeah, it was, uh, of course, mainly B2C. Yeah. Huh? So at, uh, six years ago, seven years ago, uh, Berlin was driven by, by B2C, yeah. more or less. Huh? And uh, now, but my thinking was always, okay, when it works in B2C, it also will work at the end in B2B. And uh, then we, we, we established this Klöckner.i uh, uh, mm -hmm. and um, hired people, by the way, not from Klöckner. So we hired people out of this ecosystem. And then the difficulty started. Um, uh, um, uh, we, we developed the first tools, but of course the corporate was saying, okay, the, these guys from Berlin, they don't know our business and, and what sh shall we do with this crumpy uh, uh, tools? And, and so in the beginning, we wanted to have Klöckner.i really very, very independent, but when it's too independent, it doesn't work. That was, that was uh, uh, the learning. So we, try to move it closer to Klockner, but not too close, right? because when it's getting too close, it also will not work. And this is the reason why most of the of the digital hubs of corporates are not working. Most of them fail, while it's either too close or too far away. And it took about, I would say, about two years to find the right balance. So balance in a way that, 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 that people on the Klockner side were at some point in time understanding that there could be a benefit from Berlin and the, and the Berlin people also learned more how a corporate works. Yeah? But it's, uh, it's really a process. It takes some time and, and it takes also then a cultural change on the, on the Klöckner side, which we also had not really in mind at the beginning, to be honest. Yeah? Was there something special that you were doing? Were people going on tour or? Now, the, this, after some time, it was, it was clear, okay, tech, it's not technology alone yeah. when the people don't use it. Yeah? It will not work. And, uh, and then it was also, again, by chance, by the way, um, uh, our head of IT was saying to me, look, um, We have this new uh, Microsoft uh, 365 Office suite, and, and with this uh, comes Yammer. And I said, well, Yammer, what is uh, Yammer? And he was saying, look, Yammer is something like an internal Facebook. And I said, great, what can we do with it? And he was saying, yeah, we can open it uh, for our people. And I said, yeah, open it. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and that was the first time, by the way, I was using social um, network because my um, uh, children were not allowing me to uh, be on Facebook. Uh, I wanted it at some point, but they were saying, "Look, leave us alone here." And okay, and and then then I learned this. But 
then it was also getting immediately clear for me that this is the tool we need because with this tool I was able in principle first of course only but uh, in principle to get in touch with my people which is otherwise especially in a very decentralized company like Klockner not possible Uh, so when we have uh, 60 people in the holding and, and uh, now 7,000, I think at that point in time, 11,000 in our branches. So you cannot get in touch with them. But with Yammer, it can work. That was, um, uh, that was my take. And then I start to using Yammer to communicate. And then more and more people were also um, communicating on Yammer. And, and at some point in time, I was saying, look, when you, I, I will communicate only through Yammer going forward. Nothing else. Only So when you want to hear where we are going or strategy and so, you have to go on Yammer. And then uh, uh, I started also to communicate with the people, uh, also with salespeople, for instance. And... Uh, And, but also in a different way, not by saying, look, you have to do this, and yet by asking questions, by saying, oh, great, great is that this problem pops up, what can we do, who has an idea, and all this stuff. And uh, by the way, at some point in time during this journey, also my middle management came to me, was saying, look, uh, we, uh, it's great that you're communicating uh, directly with our people. Of course, they didn't like it, but they were saying it's great. And 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 uh, we don't know uh, what to do with it and how, how to react. And, uh, I, and, and I said to them, look, I also don't know it. It's also new for me. And uh, uh, my suggestion is try it out. And so more and more uh, uh, people uh, within Klockner employees were using Yammer. We were, at some point in time, we were such a heavy user that even Microsoft was sending a, a video, a podcast team to uh, to Duisburg for the Ignite conference to make a video how we're using Yammer. And, um, and, and so that was one, one important cultural change um, uh, approach. And, and the second was um, our digital academy. Okay. So the, because when you want to digitalize, you have all, and, and, and especially in a business like Lucknow, no one really knows what, what digitalization means in the beginning. Yeah? Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, and then the idea came up of a digital academy. But here again, we started also as an MVP. We, by the way, started everything as MVP right? and uh, MVP in a way um, that I was, uh, I was in Davos at that at this uh, World Economic Forum and the idea popped up and then I gave a call to my head of HR and I was saying to her, look, you have three weeks and in three weeks I want to have the first two courses um, uh, on our new, now founded, just founded Digital Academy. Huh? And, uh, and, and this is where we started and meanwhile thousands of Glockner people are are uh, doing courses uh, in this academy I can, and they can do it during working hours, okay. uh, which is important. And with this, we increase the digital IQ of Klockner mm -hmm. step mm -hmm. by step. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think this too, Yammer and this digital academy uh, were extremely important to make uh, uh, in the end uh, digitalization successful. But again, I have to say without a plan uh, that uh, popped up on the, during the journey. Yeah. From AT&T, there's this uh, fantastic phrase which goes that um, you can be a lifelong employee at AT&T as long as you are a lifelong learner. How can you uh, combine yeah, this with, with this, this academy approach? Is it, yeah. Does everybody needs to go through this? And what happens to people that, that don't go digital? 
Yes and no. So uh, it's voluntary on the one side. And on the other side, I was, of course, saying, look, it's, it's voluntary, but it's also clear that going forward, in the next couple of years, we can only employ people with digital knowledge mm -hmm. uh, and uh, uh, when we are uh, transforming into a platform company. Yeah. So it's a bit of both, I would say. But uh, we, we kept it voluntary because otherwise it's also then getting too complicated also with the labor. So the labor council supported it. But when you want to make courses and when you want to make, the, then you have to control it and, and then you need regulation. And so, and what we always avoided was any kind of regulation. Okay, any scoring to, that, that yeah, needs scoring to be. And so, but but and, and, uh, we, we were saying basically, everyone can do courses or should do courses, of course, but, but everyone can also decide which courses. Yeah. So some are doing now artificial intelligence, some are more basic underway. So it's very different. But it's, it's to be honest, it's not important which courses they take. Important is you're increasing the digital IQ. Um, so you, you talked about educating your um, human capital. Did you also have to educate the market on this? I tried and I failed uh, because uh, uh, it, after, after some time it was clear uh, that it's extremely difficult to educate Uh, as, especially such a market, we so we have thousands of customers, and and to, to, to try to educate is not possible. No? But it took some time. We tried it first no? with flyers and with everything, no? and then we said, okay, look, then we have to do it differently. Uh, then we have to make our customers uh, uh, digital, or also our suppliers in a way that they don't have to change anything. And that came up, by the way, with, uh, with, with art, uh, AI, with artificial intelligence. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and the approach is now uh, that when a customer uh, makes a request, a uh, request for proposal, uh, so they're typically sending us a fax or um, PDF or whatever, or an email. And, and, and we then digitalize the whole process. So there is, the, let's say, this PDF. We digitalizing the PDF, no problem. Um, we uh, interpretation of a, of an unstructured document is already really a difficult AI uh, issue. Sure. We, but we, with our people in, in, in Berlin, we did it successfully. Uh, then we have to match it with our product base because the names in steel are not standardized. Huh? And, uh, and then we have to price it and price it. We also have no price list. So it's a um, volatile pricing. So it's, uh, we have no definite prices. Uh, and so we, we said, okay, then we, we digitalize the, the whole press process by ourselves. So the, in the end, when the, we are not complete, I, I, I think uh, Klockner will be finished by the end of the year with it. Uh, and when it's finished, then imagine the customer is sending a PDF or, or even a fax and gets a quote within seconds, more or less real time. And typically it took two or three days and uh, then it's more or less real time. And then when then the customer is seeing how good that works, then there will, in our, my point of view, 
come uh, then the uh, going forward they would say yeah we might want an integration because it's so seamless and so on but but the learning was don't try to change your customer uh, especially in a, in a in a very traditional industry don't try to change your customer and uh, change your process but in a way that you make it for the customer more convenient um, as a publicly listed company did you also have to educate the analysts or um, your shareholders? Yeah, the, or the stakeholders as a, as a, in, in yeah, that was also not easy, as you can imagine. Because, why? Because it uh, took uh, honestly longer than expected. Uh, so uh, I was convinced that, it, uh, that this will go relatively quick, but yeah, then we had to learn that the customers are don't want to change your people don't want to change in the beginning customer no one want to change and uh, and so it takes some time and uh, we educated uh, the uh, analysts we made uh, special sessions concerning digitalization and what our success i would say was in the first couple of years that they at least were saying it could be something we are not sure yet and we don't see any benefits yet But it's some kind of a wild card, uh, and it, it it could be some. So they were not negative. Uh, neither ne they were more or less neutral on this uh, digitalization. But this changed then two years ago. It started to change, and when we last year had this big savings because the the first big benefits, really big benefits, because of digitalization, it done then. Uh, changed completely. But in the first couple of years, it, it, it was not uh, that easy. Yeah. Looking at what you did, um, I mean, you went beyond the company because with setting up these XOM materials, you were trying to reshape the whole industry to become more yeah. digital. How was the applause from the capital markets for this? Yeah, uh, some material is... is When, when you're talking about the digitalization of Klockner, in the end, we have two streams. Yeah. Yeah? So we thought in the beginning it's one, but, but it, it ended up in two. <laughs> And uh, um, uh, so, we, by, by the way, in the beginning, the idea was to first uh, build this uh, proprietary platform and then open it uh, for uh, uh, competitors, but that didn't work. In the end, also not for cartel reasons, but also internally, um, I would say you can change your people to a certain extent, but making them clear that the fiercest competitors are now customers on the, uh, that, 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 that doesn't really work. The, the, the frenemies story doesn't compel the, the, that the, So the, we, we then decided, I think it was about three years ago, to separate song. Uh, to to set up uh, a different a new company. Uh, by the way, this is then what we had to because uh, uh, we uh, needed the approval from the cartel authorities, and we had to put a Chinese wall. We had to make a different company with different people, and and so we clearly had to separate some from Klockner because of the customer uh, and competitor competitor data on the on the on the on the platform. Uh, And and uh, so then we so, so some has is really definitely it's uh, has an own strategy, uh, and uh, and it's to a certain extent disruptive to our core business uh, because some and also our proprietary club platform at Klockner, they uh, having the same customers they're going for the same customers on the one side on the other side, Klockner 
So this is a two-sided platform. Klöckner is using XOM as procurement platform because it's, I would say, clearly the best procurement platform in this business. And we and our Klöckner people, even if it's disruptive on the one side, they're using it on the other side because it's uh, the benefit uh, is is uh, so huge. And and. Okay, now this year I think will be the, will be um, uh, important um, uh, uh, to make some successful. Some needs to to be more independent going forward from Klockner. So Klockner clearly also my successor in the end has to decide: uh, uh, Do I want a separate business where Klockner ends up in a minority position where value creation comes from? Uh, from 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 the value creation of the platform itself, but but it's a separate business. Or do I want to integrate XOM because it's a great purchasing tool to improve Flugner without the opportunity for competitors to use it? So that's the decision now my successor has to make. Um, so you've already mentioned a couple of leadership learnings from your journey. Yeah. Um, was there anything else where you felt like Wow, I should have done this differently, or this was totally unexpected. I would say, uh, when I would start start today, I would do it differently because okay, we are seven years ahead. We know much more about platforms and and uh, e business and all this stuff and 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 uh, artificial intelligence and and so. Looking back, we of course had to pivot. Also, for instance, we had to pivot some. Uh, we, uh, in the uh, in the beginning, it was uh, uh, it was really more an Amazon type platform. But then we had to pivot it because uh, uh, this doesn't work, at least not in the beginning in our industry, because we are a multi-local industry. So you have to you you need in our industry to make a to to make an Amazon type platform successful. You need to have in every region enough suppliers and customers on the platform, which is so difficult to achieve that all startups who tried it failed. So we had to pivot it for in a, in more into a procurement platform. And, and when we finally have, when there are finally enough customers and suppliers on the platform, then also this Amazon type platform works. With the knowledge of today, okay, I would say, let's do it the other way around. But I would not say uh, that that the, that at, at that point in time it was it wasn't clear. We had to make the learning. So it was a journey where we always learned something new. And then we what we did is we tried a lot of things out. When there was something which we found interesting, we tried it out. And some things worked, some things didn't. Huh? And uh, and and so I would not I would say the approach was right. Uh, and and. To yeah, go step by step to to try things out to to uh, have this MVP approach to pivot if necessary. So it's it's more or less like startups doing it. Né? So startups also often have to pivot, né? and uh, but you cannot then say, okay, I would do it differently. I have a feeling that 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 um, you're kind of emphasizing failure culture here as well, right? Because yeah. you tried and experimented and it failed, still you learned and moved on. Was it easy to establish a, f a failure culture? Was it through the academy or did you have to do additional yeah. additional <laughs> initiatives? I think yeah, we uh, we also tried it with initiatives. We had also uh, this, this 
so-called fuck-up nights. And, uh, and it was funny, and but I think in the end, the impact was not. Uh, the, the, I would say uh, the failure culture, um, we implemented it to a certain extent by communicating our Uh, also, I myself. Uh, so the, we communicating uh, communicated what went wrong and what we have try now, what we try now differently. And I think with this step by step, people were uh, and and also by the way, when we have uh, when we had our of course emerging leadership courses and so on, then we had of course sessions of failure culture. But it's also learning you don't have to. Uh, implement everything everywhere. Uh, so when it's when the key people acknowledge that the uh, that things can go wrong and that it doesn't matter that much, then it's good enough. When somewhere in a branch in France, uh, the head of this branch is not accepting failure, it doesn't make sense to try to change it. But uh, looking at um, your very visionary approach to leadership, because you were having a long-term idea on how the industry will need to develop itself and of course the company uh, needs to develop. Um, what what was this one skill that you could always rely on, uh, on yourself that you would say that was the most important skill I had throughout that time? Um, I would say um, uh, brave enough to try uh, and and uh, to try things and, and move on. Uh. So even when it failed, then move on and do it differently. And I always believed, I, I always believed 100% in this vision. I have to say, uh, and uh, and and uh, you have to keep it going. Uh, so it, uh, even if it takes time, even if it takes longer than expected, even if you fail here and there, or uh, when you have in the end uh, enough people who believe in this vision, uh, then uh, it can work. Uh. Who who were the most important supporters? Early, who who could be convinced early and was following you throughout? That time? I think in, in the beginning, no one really. Uh, oh. So I, th uh, I think uh, even also in this industry, most of the people was thinking he might be, to a certain extent, now getting crazy with this digitalization and we can take it take it seriously. There was, by the way, this uh, German steel uh, news. And and they there were an article, uh, I think it was in 2014 or so, and then uh, the CEOs of other distributors were asked what they think about digitalization, and they also were saying it's crap, huh? it's, it doesn't work in our industry, and, and so on. It was the article was against me. I was not mentioned, but it was against against me. And uh, but then yeah, step by step, uh, things changed. Also, I mean. Uh, then people were reading more about digitalization. Uh, the politicians, they didn't do anything, but at least they were saying they had to do something uh, and, uh, to digitalize uh, um, uh, Germany and, and so on. So it's, it, it's, it was getting more and more momentum at some point in time. Okay, what, what would also be very interesting for our listeners would be... Um As future leaders, what would you say? What should they be passionate about? How can they drive transformation in these times? Because now I think it must be very uh, 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 nice for you to to learn that you were right already uh, 10 years ago. But 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 what is it that you would say to young leaders? What should they focus on when they want to? I think when you want to really make a company successful. Uh, especially for young people, to, you need also some some kind of vision. 
only saying we have to be more efficient and and we want to be the largest and and uh, the greatest and so on i think that's uh, that's not good enough and uh, when i was leaving by the way i was telling to my people the next big thing is esg uh, think about esg think about new business models and uh, esg esg will now for the next decades uh, uh, the next uh, um, big thing, and that when uh, that would have been my next uh, uh, vision. How how could Kluckner become a leader in in, uh, in the industry in ESG? So I think uh, when you want to have the, your people behind you, really, uh, um, it's it's not enough to be a good operator. You have to be a good operator, but that's not enough. You, I, I think, you also need some kind of yeah vision. Um, so you just brought up ESG. Um, what role do you think supervisory boards have in the context of sustainability or ESG? Is there a role for them? Yeah, of and course. Is, I, I, I think it's it's it it's to to some extent the same with digitalization at the when, when we started uh, we started. It. So the role of the board is of course uh, supervisory board or board or, or management board. Uh, they they have to drive it into the organization, right? and uh, because uh, look, look what what can happen with these uh, with these uh, in the hack against Shell. Shell has to reduce their CO two emissions until two thousand thirty by forty five percent. So that will com- probably comp- change the complete uh, company, and uh, and 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 what what the boards have to make sure is that the companies go ahead, that they are not waiting. So, for instance, uh, at the World Economic Forum, I was co-head uh, of the metals and mining uh, community, and I established a blockchain uh, uh, project uh, to trace CO two emissions throughout the supply chain, and um, and we had we had discussions, and there were all the big steel and and mining CEOs, a bit more conservative environment, as you can imagine, and some fear transparency. Uh, transparent, uh, and some were saying, and in, uh, in the end, yeah, it, it, or, or that was also my 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 suggestion was we have to do it if we want to make sure that we define also that we define the standards, for instance, and that we are not chased then from the politi- politicians and from the regulators and from the jurisdiction, uh, and uh, and this is now uh, same with ESG. Uh, you can make a, a business model out of it when you start early. When you start late, then you have to do it like digitalization, but then you're being chased and you you will not have any benefits from this. Mr. Ruhl, it's, it's uh, very impressive to listen to the story and to listen to all your experience you gained throughout these years as, as being really a top leader an early uh, uh, adopter of digitization and and a true, let's say, expert in, in uh, transformation. So um, I think it would be nice to just, you know, as a final question, get maybe some uh, some ideas on what to read, because you mentioned before the Bible of digital transformation, but is there something new in the market that you would uh, uh, say is, is a good read for, for our listeners? I would say again. So, uh, reading Innovator's Dilemma uh, uh, from yeah. makes a lot. I, by the way, went to Harvard no, to yeah. to a course uh, three days, and I, I met with Clay Christensen a couple of times yeah. uh, later on because because I was saying to him, "Look, Clay, 
your uh, it's a great uh, idea and, and great concept, but what we missing what what you missing is um, uh, platform disruption. And because he wrote uh, an article in, H in Harvard Business Review, and there he was saying that uh, Uber is not disruptive. And I was saying I have a different meaning uh, because Uber is also, in my point of view, disruptive, but it does, Uber doesn't come from the bottom, and so it doesn't fit in the theory. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we met a couple of times to discuss it, by the way, né? and uh, it was highly interesting. So I would always read this book again. It's still, it's still a great book. Uh, innovators uh, dilemma and then I've read a lot of books um, in the last couple of there are also a lot of books concerning platforms some are better some are not that good and uh, but but I would not say that there is a specific one which uh, you have to read in any case so but you in any case innovators dilemma if you haven't read it from 1995 I think yeah uh, and as you said if, if you read it uh, read it again <laughs> yeah. and try to to apply what, what, what the lessons learned are from yeah, yeah because disruption is not necessarily linked to digitalization absolutely alone, no? yeah so, uh -huh. Mr. Gull, it was a great pleasure having you for our podcast today. Thank you very much for these great insights. And uh, we wish you all the best for your future. Maybe Thanks. two sentences on your future. What, 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 is, uh, what is coming up now? Yeah, I'm now an investor. Huh? And you heard uh, that. Yeah. I prepared for the, uh, for the last two years. I prepared my, yeah. my uh, future as an uh, investor. Of course, investor in, in, in tech and in, in also startups, also later stage, um, uh, uh, ESG, uh, by the way, very strongly currently. And uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is uh, my future. Huh? Put the money where the mouse is, right? Thank yeah, you right. so much, <laughs> Mr. Will. Thank you so much. Thank you. Das war Leading Corporate Transformation. Ein Podcast der WHU Otto Beisheim School of Management. Powered by PwC. Redaktion PwC, Britta Bormuth und Marvin Rothmann. Produziert in den ChemWeb Digitalstudios.